I was thinking this time last year, I was getting ready to go on my family vacation. And usually what I do when I go on a family vacation is I pick up a book to read. Uh, usually it's a non-church related book. I feel like I read enough uh, church stuff at work. And so I choose a book that is non-church related. Last year, the book I chose was Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. Uh, this is the book that inspired the Broadway play Hamilton. And let me tell you a secret. In this book, there are 825 pages long. All right. And if I'm going to be complete full disclosure here, um, I got about a third of the way in until my ADD kicked in. So I did finish this book, but I finished it through an audio book. I finished it through Audible because uh, uh, I just found it was quicker for me to listen to someone reading to me than for me to do it myself. Uh, but it's interesting, 825 pages. And it made me, it made me think about something about that. I mean, if I were to ask you a question, if I were to ask you a question, and I would say in order for you to protect your life from ruin, in order to protect your life from devastation, what would be the first area that you need to guard or you need to protect your life? If I told you you had to protect your life from ruin, what is the first area that you would begin to protect? Some of you would say, well, my, my decision-making. I want to make sure I make good decisions and make sure I, I have wisdom in that. Some of you would say, well, I want to guard my sexuality. I want to make sure that I am I'm faithful to my spouse or, or faithful to my singleness. Uh, some of you would say, well, I want to guard my mind as long as I can keep my mind healthy. Or, or my heart, if I can keep my heart pure from, from distraction. If I can keep my responses to when people uh, react to me. If I can keep my responses, that would protect my life from ruin. There's something I want you to see from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And he who opens his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs just said, If we want to protect our life from ruin, that we have to guard our words. The reality is our life is built upon words, is it not? We are always talking, we're always texting, we're always tweeting, we're updating our statuses, we're sending emails, we're writing words, we are singing words, we, are, uh, we do a lot with words. It, words in the middle of everything we do. In fact, researchers say that you and I will open our mouths over 700 times throughout the day. They will say out of that 700 times, men, we speak about 7,000 words. Ladies, you speak about 18,000 words. See the little disparity there between those two numbers? But based on that average, based on us opening our mouth 700 times a day, on average of somewhere around 12,000 words on average, if we were to record every one of those words that we write, that we speak, and we were to write them down, we were to type them out, it would come out to 54 pages of typed font Every day that you and I speak. And if you were to assemble all of those in one year, this book right here, we would have fifth, uh, excuse me, we would have 66 books of 800 pages. A lot of all of the words that you and I will speak throughout an entire year. And the reality is, you think about how many words that we would fit into this book and how many times that we would write this book in a year. It's probably wise for us to say our words are important. Our words matter. In fact, as we think about life, many of our greatest um, uh, memories, 
in life are built around somebody's words to us. They're built around words. And oftentimes when we begin to think about the most painful memories in our life, we can think back to somebody's words and how they affected us because those words were destructive. So we started this series on the book of Proverbs a couple weeks ago, and I said this series is going to look for, different for us. Normally, here at Restoration Church, we choose a, a section of Scripture or a, or a book of the Bible, and we kind of work right through it. We want God to speak to us. But Proverbs is kind of designed differently. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom uh, by Solomon and a couple other guys. Uh, and you can't quite go through it verse by verse because these verses are somewhat random. And so we're going to uh, look at some of these topics that are covered in this book. And so today we're going to deal with the topic of our words. We're going to talk about how to be wise with our words. And what I want to teach you uh, today is because Proverbs is so unique, I want to teach you how to do something in your Bible called a Bible tree. You say, well, I don't know what a Bible tree is. Well, I'm going to teach you what a Bible tree is, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bible to the title page to the book of Proverbs. Now, if you're trying to find where the title page to the book of Proverbs is, you're going to open up your Bible probably to the middle of the Bible, and you'll see a book called Psalms, except it starts with a P, not an S. Uh, and if you turn a few pages to the right, you will find the book of Proverbs. And I want you to go to the very beginning of Proverbs, the title page. Okay, now here's what a Bible tree is. A Bible tree is you're going to take a subject, you're going to take a topic, and you're going to write it down. Okay, so the first topic I want you to write down is uh, words that give life. Okay, and what you're going to do is I'm going to give you a bunch of verses, and you're going to go to the very first verse I give you. Actually, I, I take that back. Let me, let, let me think about this. I have to think and, and think as I talk through this. Uh, you're going to write words of life, and then you're going to write down the very first verse I give you. Okay. Uh, so words of life, uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. Okay, that's the first verse, words of life. Then what happens is you're going to go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. And you can write, write down the next verse. The next verse happens to be 10, chapter 21. And you're going to write that next to 10, 11. Then you go to 10, 21, and you write the next verse, 12, 14. Uh, then you actually turn to 12, 14 and write the next verse, 16, 13. You see how this kind of branches your way through? And what's going to happen is you don't have to do this right now because if you do this right now, it's going to distract you from our conversation. I want you to take a picture of these things right here. I want you to take a picture of this. And in the beginning of your Bible, I want you to write Proverbs. I want you to write Power of Words, Life. You write 10, 11. And then you go find 10, 11 and write the next one, 10, 21. Then you go find 10, 21 and write the next one. Okay. Same thing to do with the Power of Words for Destruction. Okay, now let me tell you why you would do this. Let me tell you why you would do this. Because imagine yourself down the road, struggling through your words. And imagine you can open up your Bible and you can have a wealth of knowledge to you. That you want to understand the power of your words and how your words can be used to give life to the people around you. Listen, you've already got a bunch of verses laid out for you. That you can pull them out in quick order. What about words of destruction? Again, you have this written out in your Bible. You have this process through. You have the ability to go and find these verses very quick-like at, at the snap of a fingertip. And you can flip through and be able to share that and, and be able to allow God to speak through that. That's called a Bible tree. 
My encouragement is as we go through these topics throughout uh, the upcoming weeks, as we look at friends and as we work at marriage and as we work at parenting and as we look at all these different things, that you would be able to do a Bible tree for each of those things. Because then you just have a wealth of knowledge in your Bible. This is allowing you to take the Bible and make it a, 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 a guidebook for your life. To give, be able to give wisdom to you. So today we're dealing with wisdom in our words. In fact, if you were to look in the book of Proverbs, and I did this past week, and you were to count how many verses deal with our words, there are, is over 109 ver- verses, at least that's by my account, 109 verses that all point to our words. So today I've got a four-hour message that I'm going to tie into 35 minutes, and we're going to jump in and get after this. The, the key idea I want you to, to walk away with today is this, that By changing our words, we could revolutionize our life. That we could revolutionize our relationships. That we could revolutionize our church, our our community, our family. That we could revolutionize our life. And not just our life, but the life of the people around us. And the key verse for uh, today, dealing with this idea of of the power of our words, is Proverbs 18, verse 21. And this is what 1821 says. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What Solomon wants us to recognize is that literally our words have the power of death and the power of life. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, understand, how do our words bring destruction? How can they bring death? How can they bring destruction around us? And how can our words bring life? And health to the people around us. So first I wanted to talk about this idea of destructive words. Uh, words that have the power of death in them. In fact, there's a, there's a uh, famous verse uh, that you may be familiar with. Passage of scripture co- coming out of Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah chapter 6, if you've been in church very long, you know what this passage is. If you don't, let me tell you what happens. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is, is ushered into this very surreal place. He's ushered into this very special place where he is allowed to enter into the presence of the holiness of God. He comes before God's throne. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's interesting. Here's Isaiah, a prophet of God. This is a guy who's much more righteous than I am. This is a guy who is probably much more righteous than most of us in here. And he comes before the throne room of God, and his first words are, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The first thing he talks about isn't his sexual sin. The first thing he talks about isn't his anger. It's not... His pride is not any of these things. The first thing he says is, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. He says, woe is me because I have used my lips that were meant to honor God, that were meant to bless God, that were meant to bless people, and I have used them in unclean ways. Isaiah understands our words are a big deal. And that's the first thing that he recognizes that makes him guilty before God. Is the fact that he has used his mouth in ways that were non-pure. That were not what God intended. So, when we begin to understand what are destructive words, how do we, what are some of those destructive words? And these are things, again, let me clarify this. I kind of feel like I'm a karate teacher. 
uh, teaching a bunch of little kids for the very first time, all right? Because here's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to talk about some different things. I'm going to talk about lying, and I'm going to talk about gossip, and I'm going to talk about flattery, and I'm going to talk about all these different things. Listen, these are not meant for offense, okay? These are meant for defense. These are not meant for you to sit there and think, oh, I know who needs to hear this. Oh, yeah, why is that person not here? They need to hear this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell them all about this. No, this isn't meant for you to go and attack your family and your friends and other people. These are things that we actually have to consider for ourselves. You have to consider your own words by these types of destructive words to ask yourself, man, how many of these words would characterize my words to the way I speak to the people around me? So here are some examples of destructive words from the book of Proverbs. The first one is we sometimes have impulsive words. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 says, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quickly holds it back. I mean, how many of us would be in that situation where we often speak before we think, right? Now, I know we're in America. In America, we have, we have freedom of speech, right? Like, it is, our, it is our right for us to be able to say whatever we want, whenever we want to say it. It's our right to blurt out whatever we want. Yes, it is absolutely your right. And yes, it is absolutely foolish for us to do that. It is absolutely foolish. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? It is a wise person who learns to let some things be unsaid. Now listen, I know some of you will say, well, I can't help it. I can't, I can't help it. I always just speak before I think. And let me say that's an excuse. You want to know why? Because Proverbs 12, 23 says, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. You know what that just said? That your heart is where these words come from. And that when we are impulsive in our words, when we don't think about what we say, we can't just say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, I spoke before I think. You can't say that because your words reveal your heart. So if you have no discretion, if you have no self-control, if you have no filter, that shows you there's something deeper inside your heart that would lead you to the point that you speak with an impulsive attitude, that you speak without any self-control. Second type of destructive word that Proverbs is going to teach us about is gossip and flattery. Gossip and flattery. Proverbs twenty nineteen says, Whoever goes about slandering or participating in gossip reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Yes, that's good news right there. That's good advice. Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads his net for feet. Spreads the net for his feet. It's kind of a wise little saying right there. If you're a flattering person, you're setting a net for you to fall upon. And your feet will tumble down. You say, well, what's gossip? Gossip is what you would say behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. That's when you've got something, a problem with somebody, and it's easier for you to go and tell somebody else instead of going and tell them, telling them. Flattery is the opposite. Flattery is when you would say something to their face that you wouldn't say behind their back. See how those two things play back and forth? Listen, this idea on gossip, do I really need to tell you how destructive it is? 
I mean, I mean, I can. I can stand up here and give you example after example of how destructive gossip is. But I imagine most of you recognize that. In fact, I would say probably one of the greatest threats to the church, to any church, to our church, isn't necessarily persecution. It's probably problems from within. And gossip fuels that, right? So here's, here's two principles for gossip. Number one, don't speak it. Just refuse to participate in gossip. Listen, if you've got to say something negative about somebody else, just don't, don't, don't talk about them. Go and talk to them. You've got a problem with how someone's doing something, don't talk about them. Don't ever talk about them. Go and talk to them. Hey, I see this in your life. It's a problem. Number two, don't listen to gossip. Don't listen to gossip. When someone comes to you and starts throwing someone else under the bus, here's what I do. Like, you come in and you want to start talking to me. Oh, you should have seen what this person did. I'm like, have you told that person? No. And I'm like, great, let me pull out my cell phone. Here you go. You can call them right now. I got it ringing for you. Very simple. And gossip is just not going to be tolerated around me. And I want us to all have this idea that we just aren't going to tolerate that in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our workplaces. Man, gossip is destructive. The third one that Proverbs is going to teach us is going to teach us destructive words are ones that create division. Words that create division. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty eight says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Think about your life. Have you ever experienced in your life division from your words? Have you ever said some things about somebody that created a rift in the relationship to where their relationship can no longer exist? What about vice versa? Has everyone ever said something to you, about you, that hurt so deeply that that relationship could, was just not going to be the same from then on, from then forward? See, you know what's so sad? Is Satan, our enemy, his goal is to destroy. His goal is to create division. And it's really sad that he uses people like you and I to accomplish that in our world. That he uses us to create the animosity, to break down relationships, and to create disunity because of our words. Destructive. Now, unless you want me to speak for four hours today, I'm going to give you a little summary of a couple more. Uh, destructive words, lying. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Seven things the Lord hates. Lying. We don't have to go too far with that. Uh, talking too much. Proverbs ten nineteen. This is one that pastors have to listen to oftentimes. Because sometimes you can just ramble on and on and on. And I've been guilty of that once or twice. I apologize for that. Thank you for extending me grace. Uh, quarreling or fighting, Proverbs 18, 6. All of these are examples of, of words that cause destruction, that create destruction all around us. Now, you can go through, there's more examples of this. These are six of them that I thought were, were pertinent. I want us to recognize, though, that these destructive words have lasting impacts. In fact, like, so you can be on the receiving end of those destructive words. And they last with you forever. I can, think, I can think very early in my marriage. I can think about someone in a church who said something that I think was, I think the heart was there. And man, that, that still stings. We're 16 years later. 
We can still hear that voice saying, this is what they said to you. And I still feel the weight of that 16 years later. When you were on the receiving end of words of destruction, of these dangerous words, man, there's grace, there, there's forgiveness, there's hope, there's reconciliation. But once those words are out, you can't retrieve them. You can't bring them back in. And the, the, these, our words have the power to destroy. They have the power to destroy families. They have the power to destroy relationships. They have power to destroy careers. In fact, our words have the power to create and start wars. In fact, I read about this, this this past week. Hiroshima, World War II, 1945. World War II, uh, we're in this battle, and the United States goes and warns Japan. They say, listen, hey, if you don't respond positively to, to our commands, we're going to give prompt and utter destruction. It was a warning. Hey, you need to take notice. And the prime minister of Japan at that time Suzuki, he responded with a word in Japanese called uh, mokusatsu. This is a word that typically means no comment. So, again, America, we, uh, we usher this, this threat, and he responds no comment. Unfortunately, that word was not translated correctly. Unfortunately, that was translated as, you are not worthy of a comment. Ten days later, the U.S. responded. They dropped the atom bomb. And this is the result of that. The destruction of Hiroshima. 140,000 people died because of that bomb. Because of one word. Listen, don't think that that just happens in, in things like this. This happens in lives all around us. Or we say things, they make us feel better, but they bring destruction. So that's a warning on words of destruction. But I want to spend most of our time talking about the power of our words to give life. The power of those positive words. In fact, when you think about the power of words, I think about, I think about the book of Genesis. Where God, all God does is speak. God, God speaks and all of a sudden there's lights. God speaks and all of a sudden there's planets. God speaks and there's fish. In fact, when you think about God's words, most of his miracles happened because Jesus spoke them, right? Jesus spoke and lame men walked. Jesus spoke and lepers were healed. Jesus spoke and calmed storms. Jesus spoke and dead men walked out of graves. Now, absolutely, there was those occasional uh, miracles where Jesus would spit onto the dirt and make a little mud and rub it on somebody's eyes. But most of Jesus' words happened through his words. He spoke them. In fact, our salvation comes from believing words, right? Think about this. In, in the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham, what did Abraham do? Abraham believed the word of God. Abraham was an old man. He's 100 years old. 99 years old. And God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to let you have a family. And he's like, what are you talking about, God? I, I'm an old guy. I can't, I can't have babies anymore. But he believed God. And he received strength in his 99-year-old body. He goes home, tells Sarah, hey, put your dentures in, baby. Put some Justin Timberlake on. We're going to start a family. Come on now. He believed God. 
In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it comes to us as an announcement in words about Jesus. Where it is announced that he is the Lord. And and it is announced what he has accomplished on our behalf to, to save us. And when we believe those words, that's where we receive salvation. When we place our faith in in what those words say about him, we receive salvation. We are born again into forgiveness and into a new life of salvation. The point I want you to see is God's power was in his words. God's power was in his words. His words give life. Listen, you and I, we are created in God's image. We are created in his image. And because we are created in the image of God, our words have power as well. Our words have the power of life. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of what these life-giving words that you and I can have in our life, of how we can give life to the people around us. The first characteristic of of life-giving words is they have to be true words. They have to be true words. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says this. It says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs would, said, would say, if you and I are going to be a true friend, if we actually care about somebody, if we love them, then we will speak the truth to them even when it hurts them. Even when it wounds When we see something about someone we love, when we see someone and say, man, I care about you, but man, I see you doing some things that just aren't good for you. They're going to lead to destruction. They're going to destroy you. They're going to harm you. We we, we speak the truth to them. Listen, I know, I know a lot of us, we don't, we don't like the idea of having to confront somebody else. A lot of us are, are, are apprehensive to that. We like to keep the peace. But on the flip side, when we don't speak the truth in love, that said that we have uh, profuse or excessive kisses of an enemy. That it's kind of like we walk up to the enemy and we say, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, I really care about you. I kind of picture Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot comes up to Jesus and what does he do? He kisses him on the cheek. That wasn't a kiss of saying, hey, I love you, I care for you. That was a kiss of rebellion. Of turning his back on Jesus. And if we allow someone to keep destroying themselves, we're not a real friend. We're actually an enemy watching them destroy themselves. No, I've told you this before. I've told you uh, that I'm a people pleaser. That's my tendency. I want people to be happy. And so when I, as a pastor, I come up here, I want to preach sermons that you laugh at. I want to preach, I want to preach sermons that are warm and make you feel fuzzy inside and make you feel good. I want to go out and change the world. And there's times when I open up my Bible and I look at what the Bible says and I'm like, man, do I, do I have to preach that? Man, can't I just have a guest preacher coming? Uh, like Dan Brown or, or Jim Herring. Why don't you preach this one? Because I don't want to preach this. Man, but I love you guys too much to not preach the truth. I love you too much not to say this is what God's word says and we need to listen to it. Otherwise, our life will lead to destruction, will lead to harm. So our words have to be truthful to give life. Second thing, uh, and this goes along with our words having to be truthful, is our words have to be graceful. 
Our words have to be graceful. In fact, listen, listen to these two verses. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words are graceful and should bring healing. And, and, and Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Literally, that idea of a tree of life, it means to restore back to paradise. That our words, our gentle tongue, ought to restore people back to paradise. That when we, when we, when we speak words that are graceful, when we speak the truth, but words that are graceful, then our goal is always going to be healing. That's what graceful words, the root is always going to be healing. The question you have to ask yourself, the question you have to ask is, what is my purpose of my words right here? Are my words meant to be healing? Are my words meant to be graceful? Now listen, I know there are some of you where some of you are like, man, my spiritual gift is criticism. Like, I'm really good at telling everybody how they're wrong. Like, it's just like my spiritual gift. I'm good at that. And so oftentimes we say things that are true, but the effect of what we say is not healing. The effect of what we say is actually breaking. We break the back of those people when we share words that are not done in grace. In fact, the Bible calls that cursing our brothers. That when we speak the truth without a desire to heal, when we speak the truth to just let them have it, that we are literally condemning or cutting down the people that we supposedly care about. I want you to think about this in your life. Think about how you communicate with your spouse. Think about how you communicate with your kids. Think about how you communicate to your boss in your workplace. Are your words graceful? Are your words graceful? Do they intend to bring healing? Or do they intend to make you feel better? Do they intend to get you to get what you want? In fact, just thinking about this, I'm going to read this verse, and this applies to beyond wives. This applies to, to parents, to, to employees. Proverbs 19.13 says, A foolish son is a ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Listen, you can speak the truth to somebody, but if your goal is not grace, if your goal is not healing, then what Proverbs said is that constant criticism is kind of like that continuing drop of rain. That isn't good for anybody. Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in the house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I'm not picking on wives here. Let me clarify that. This goes to husbands, to parents, to employees, to bosses, to every one of us. Listen, if we are constantly trying to speak the truth to people and tell them how wrong they are, but if our goal is not healing, if our goal is not to speak those words in grace, that is what we are doing. We are being that quarrelsome wife. That Proverbs just said, it is better for us to live on the roof in a corner than inside the house with somebody who is constantly correcting and belittling and, and pointing out faults. Here's what you need to ask yourself. When you are speaking those words of truth, here's a test to whether or not they are graceful. Okay? 
When you're speaking the truth, it's never going to feel good. When you are speaking the truth and you're going to bring correction and you're going to wound somebody else, it's never going to feel good to you. And so you have to ask yourself, man, I'm going I'm to give this feedback to this person. I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong. And listen, if you feel good about it, maybe, maybe you only feel a little bit good about it. Still that same thing. You need to check your heart. You need to check your heart and say, man, am I doing this with the right motive? Or am I doing this because it's going to make me feel better? Third characteristic of words that give life is encouraging words. Simply put, encouraging words. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. See, our words are not just supposed to be truth. Our words are supposed to actually speak life into other people. In fact, I was thinking about this and as an example. In the book of Numbers, uh, way back in the first part of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, remember the story where, where God leads the Israelites out of, the prom, or out, of, out of Egypt, and they're preparing to go into the promised land, and they get to, ready to go into the promised land, the land that God was going to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. This was going to paradise. Okay? Remember what happened is, is the Israelites sent 12 spies into the land. They, spent, they sent those spies into the land. They scouted everything out. They wanted to see what the land was going to look like and what type of people were there. And they came back, and 10 of those 12 spies gave the same report. And this is what the report was. Numbers chapter 13 says, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land which... Uh, through which we have gone out to spy, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great height. Listen, everything those scouts said was true. Everything those spies said was true. Yet Scripture calls it a bad report. Scripture calls it an evil report. Because they did not report from the perspective that God wanted to do in that situation. They spoke the truth, but it was still evil because it was not rooted in what God was trying to do in that situation. See, we, when we speak those words of truth, we are to speak the words of life from the perspective of God. Let me tell you what I mean by this. There's a, a great theologian by the name of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is a guy who lived uh, a while ago. And he, he characterized one of the most amazing things about God is the way that God redefines our reality with his words. Can you think about this? Think about how God has, has redefined our reality with his words. That God looked into the chaos. He looked in the chaos and he spoke hopeful, the hopeful words of creation. Looked in the chaos and God created this out of nothing. That God looked into the chaos of sin and he declared us righteous by Jesus Christ. But by speaking these words, coupled with our belief in them, Jesus uh, reconstituted our reality. He changed our reality. So here's, here's a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, you can call me a failure. You can call me an idiot. You can call me evil, incompetent, dangerous, pathetic. Listen, you call me those things, and they aren't just descriptive. Those are things that the devil begins to whisper in my ears, and they have power to make me believe these things about myself. They have the power to make me those things. Have you seen that in life? 
Have you seen that in your own life? People just say negative things to you and you begin to believe it. It begins to be who you are. But on the flip side, Martin Luther says, God speaks louder and his words are more powerful. And as God speaks his words into my life, he redefines my reality. He says, you can call me a liar, and that's the truth. I have lied, but God declares me righteous. And so my lies and your insult, they don't have the final word. They don't have the most powerful word because God's word defines my reality. God's word changes my reality and redefines who I am. Martin Luther says this is why we need to be in the Bible. This is why we need to be under the preaching of God's word. This is why we need to go to God in prayer. This is why we need to have the body of Christ to speak words of grace into our life. Because only as we receive God's word, only as we hear God's word, only as we have God's word reported to us, and as we believe those things, at that point, do the insults of others and our own sinful nature cease to constitute our reality. Because our reality has changed because of what God said about us. Martin Luther says that the words of our enemies, both external from the outside and the internal enemies on the inside, the little voice in the back of your head that tells you you're not enough. They might be powerful in a moment, kind of like a Firework exploding in the night sky. But the word of the Lord is kind of like the sun and the moon. Stronger, brighter, and it lasts forever. That's what God's word does to us. See, both Satan and the Holy Spirit, they speak truth. But God's voice offers life. God speaks in a way that reconstitutes our reality. God looks and sees the darkness and the despair of our life. And he speaks words of hope. He speaks words of life. He speaks words of renewal. Isn't that what salvation is all about? Isn't that what the gospel is all about? That we come to God broken. We come to God with a mess of a life. And God says, let me redeem that. And let me change that. And let me make that something beautiful. And you and I, listen, we are to speak like God speaks. We are to help people see what God sees in them and help people believe their ways into it. This is called the gift of encouragement. Simply put, it means we help people see what God sees in them. The gift of encouragement might be the most overlooked spiritual gift in all of the spiritual gifts but it probably is one of the most helpful and most beneficial for the body of Christ. That when we see God's work in somebody's life, no matter how slight or how little we see it, that we comment on it, we encourage it, and we fan that little spark into a flame. That we would look and we would see God's crown that he has placed on someone's head, and we would help them see that, help them understand what God is trying to do in them. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, whoa, whoa, you know, that sounds really good. I'd love to be an encourager, but, you know, I got to be careful because if I, if I encourage people too much, you know, it might go to their head. They might become prideful. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I'm just hesitant to encourage people because I don't want them to be prideful. And I'd say bullcrap. That's a lie. Human nature 
says most of us live with this inward sense of despair. That we are focused on what's wrong with us instead of what's right. That we are aware of our brokenness and not aware of what God is trying to redeem in us. So we need the gift of encouragement. I'm going to give you just a simple way for you to grow in the gift of encouragement. To grow in encouragement. This is something that we've started doing with our premarital couples. Because what happens in relationships and marriage, maybe you've been there. uh, When you're dating, you say a lot of beautiful things to the girl you're dating or the guy you're dating. You're like, oh, you're so pretty. Your hair looks so good. You're so funny. And what happens is it's kind of like once you put the ring on it, then it's like, oh, well, you know, you're just the old, old man now, you know. You're just the woman now, right? And no longer do you, it's harder for those words of encouragement, those positive words to be a part of that relationship. And so one of the practices we're having premarital couples do is we have them do this once a day, every day for a week. I want you to recognize something about the loved one. So I want you to picture, I want you to pick someone in your life, picture, pick, pick your spouse, pick your kids, pick your boss, pick someone who you have a hard time with, pick someone that you struggle with. And for a whole week, I want you to find one thing that you can praise them for. One thing you can encourage them in. Hey man, I saw you do this with the kids. Yeah, that was great. Man, the way that you handled that, uh, that financial report at work, man, that was wonderful. You're so good at that. Man, honey, you've been doing your hair different. It looks so beautiful. You're more beautiful now than you ever were. Find something that you can encourage your spouse in every day. Do it for a week, okay? And listen, that's only the first part. The second part of that is I want you to take notice of how the other person responds. I want you to notice how the other person responds. When you speak words of encouragement, notice what they do. Are they smiling? Maybe they were having a bad day and you come in with a word of encouragement and it changes their day. Listen, I don't think that we recognize how important encouragement is. I think it's too easy for us to get busy and focus on details and and all the things we have to do to fail, that we fail to recognize how valuable encouragement is in somebody's life. So I want you to do that for a week. Find that somebody, find a couple people and say, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going I'm to see what God's doing to them. And I'm going to speak it to them. And I want you to recognize how they respond. Because when you realize how valuable your words are and how much a simple encouragement can have an impact on somebody else's life, it's intoxicating. You realize, man, I have an ability to affect somebody's life just by encouragement. Man, for me, that's intoxicating. I, I want more of that. I want to continue to experience that because I love seeing people's eyes light up. I love seeing people's day brighten because of a simple word of encouragement. I want to say I'm preaching for about as long as I need to. I'm going to close this sermon and say I just gave you something to do. And my fear is that when you preach these types of sermons where uh, you have a to-do list, where you've got to do this and do that, if you close a sermon on a to-do list, I call that a do-do sermon. It's just not very good. I want to point out Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That whatever comes out of your mouth, 
your words are a lens to your heart. They, they show what's going on in your heart. So let me just say, how many of you are in trouble right now when you consider the way that you speak? Well, can you, when you consider the way you speak to your spouse, when you consider the way you speak to your boss, when you consider the way you speak about people behind their back, If your words are a lens into your heart, how many of you are in trouble here today? It's not enough for us just to change our words. I mean, you can take lemonade and you can throw lemonade into nasty, polluted water. And listen, that hatred and that jealousy and the bitterness is still there. It's still nasty, polluted water just with a lemon taste. Proverbs 4.22 says these words... These words right here, these words in this book, they are life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. See, the words of the Bible, they they tell a story that goes into our heart. They tell a story with words that change us. In fact, Jesus, he he, he tells this story. He tells the story. We hear the story that Jesus got those words of affirmation. That at his, at his baptism, Jesus is baptized and God speaks down and says, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And those words of affirmation are something that all of us have longed for. We, we've longed for the absolute approval from God, knowing that we've been accepted just as we are. The Bible tells the story that Jesus went to the cross and on the cross, he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus got the silent treatment on our behalf. And because he did, you and I can now receive in his place those words of affirmation. My son, in whom I'm well pleased. My daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And because of what he did, we receive in his place those words of affirmations from the one, the only one that matters. And that stops the war in our heart because we have found the assurance and the love that we long for. We need to be a a people that believe this word right here. That believe God's word. We need to be a people that are growing in his word. We need to be a people that are reminded constantly of the gospel, of the good news, of what Jesus has done for us. That God takes our life in whatever shambles we bring it to him in, and he reconstitutes our reality. He makes us a new creation. We're no longer are we defined by our sin, but now we're defined by what Christ has done for us. That's That's good news for us today, isn't it?